Good morning. Again, thank you for uh, shoveling your way out of your driveways and parking lots. We are um, starting a new series today. We want to spend our time over the next few weeks walking through the first couple chapters of Luke's gospel, looking at the promise of the coming Messiah. See, God's people had waited and waited and waited the advent, the arrival of their coming king. And so we too want to pause and and just stop for a second and, and ask, what does it look like to prepare our own hearts to receive Christ afresh as we approach Christmas? If you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up. And the strites, one of the strites will be able to bring you, or put one in your hands. You can read along. And again, we'll start in uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And as we begin, let me ask you a question. Everyone in the room, let me ask you this question. Can you think of something, something you really, really wanted, but you had to wait for it? Maybe you can think back to when you were a kid, or maybe you are a kid. In the room. Or maybe you're a kid at heart. In any case, just think back for a second. Think something really, this really great thing. Maybe you were hoping for it for your birthday or for Christmas. Maybe you, you, couldn't, you just couldn't wait. It was so hard to wait for an answer of, uh, from the school you applied to for acceptance. Or, or that job offer. Or waiting to hear back if your idea was chosen or your offer was accepted. Or maybe you've prayed and prayed that God would expand your family. And so you wait. Now let me ask you this. Is it possible to wait and still be unprepared? Are we really waiting if we aren't ready for an answer? Or are we just sitting? I've wrestled with that myself. Often I've given the answer to someone else when they're asking me what's burdening my heart or what am I praying for. I'm just waiting on the Lord is my answer. But I have to ask myself, am I really waiting with anticipation or am I just actually sitting on my hands? I think there might be a difference. Let me ask it another way. What does it mean to actually be prepared for an answer to the things we're waiting for? There's a, there's a blank page in most of your Bibles between the Old Testament and the New. Between the, the prophet Malachi and the New Testament, there's a, there's a blank page. And that page represents about 400 years of prophetic silence. For 400 years, God's people had no prophet. They had no messenger from from God. Just waiting. Waiting for God to speak. Waiting and praying for redemption, for healing, for restoration for Israel. Waiting for God to answer, to fulfill the promise to raise up a king. One who would restore and redeem and save his people. They were just waiting. So, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Now, a little bit about Luke, and we'll continue this more um, 
after Advent. We're going to continue in Luke's gospel. But, but just briefly, Luke is an educated man, often referred to as the doctor. He, he's writing an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. He's intent to show his readers, Gentiles, possibly even educated ones, They're looking in at this cultural phenomenon happening amongst the Jews that the Savior that their prophets had spoken about, their own king that they'd been waiting for, that that, that this Jesus is that king. And that king has come to seek out and save the lost and to make for himself a nation, a people from every tribe and tongue and language. And here in Luke chapter 1, after 400 years of silence, between God and his people, he sends a messenger to announce what's to come. We'll pick it up in verse 5. This is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. We'll read through verse 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. And he and his wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he, speaking of Zechariah, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Amen? Okay, so so what's happening here? <clears throat> Quick overview. Zechariah is a priest, and he's married to a woman named Elizabeth. And Luke tells us that they were righteous before God. Not perfect, but they were faithful 
followers of God. Also tells us that they were both advanced in age, just meaning they were old. At least old enough to assume that they were past normal childbearing age and they had no children. Now, there were many priests, and because there were many priests, they were broken up into divisions and had a rotation. Maybe a little bit like our National Guard. When it was time for his turn, he'd go to Jerusalem with his division and serve for his time in the temple. And there were many duties to perform in temple worship. And one of those duties was entering into the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the temple, and burning incense before the Lord. And as the smoke rose up, it was symbolic of the prayers of God's people rising up to God. And this was pretty significant responsibility for a priest, so much so that if you were chosen by the casting of lots, if you were chosen to be the priest to offer incense, that happened once in your entire career as a priest. So they cast lots, and whoever was chosen, that was their year or their, their time, and this time it fell to Zechariah. So here he is offering incense, burning incense before the Lord and offering prayers, and an angel appears. Now, I don't know if you know this, but just about every time an angel shows up in the Bible, it freaks out whoever's there. Almost every time, because the first thing that these angels say, almost without exception, is, do not be afraid. Which just infers that immediately the person seeing them is probably afraid. Right? You don't tell someone, don't be scared, if they're not scared. And that's just funny to me. It must be terrifying. Right? You're going about your business, blinding light, dude standing there looking like something you've never seen before. But the angel, following this pattern, says, do not be afraid. And then he says this, for your prayer has been answered. Now the angel we find out is named Gabriel. We've heard his name before. We'll hear it again here next week. And then he tells Zechariah that he and his wife are going to have a son. And that son's name is going to be John. And John will not only bring joy to you as parents, he says, but will bring joy to many. He'll be great before the Lord, which is exciting. I mean, it makes a dad proud that his son will be great before the Lord. But more than that, he will be a joy to the nations because he will turn many hearts to the Lord, the angel says. Verse 17, he, John, will go before him, speaking of the coming Messiah, And here's the phrase Gabriel uses, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John's purpose is to prepare the way for the coming of the king, Jesus. You see, on top of his personal prayer for a child, for he and his wife, one of Zechariah's chief prayers as a priest would have been for the restoration of Israel. One of his primary prayers that would show up on the top of his list probably personally, but also in his duties as a priest on behalf of the people, would be to pray that God would redeem his people. He would have held tightly to the promise from Malachi chapter 4, that for those who fear the name of the Lord, this is what Malachi says in Malachi 4, that the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. See, at this time, Rome controlled most of the known world. And while the Hebrews were allowed to worship, they had their own religious and civil leadership, they had a temple, they were not a restored nation. They were still a subjected people. And I can imagine Zechariah, as a faithful man of God, would have prayed and longed 
for healing for the nation, for restoration for the nation. And intermingled with his prayers, like it is with all of our prayers, is the recognition of our own need for healing and for restoration. Would God be merciful and grant the request of a child? Now, I don't know if in that moment, Zechariah was praying for a child. I don't know if it had been so long that maybe that prayer had fallen back in his line of prayers. Like, maybe I'll kind of stop praying for that because I don't see that that really is going to happen anymore. I don't know. But what I do know is that Gabriel answered and said, your prayer for a child, well, God's going to answer that. Have you ever experienced that? The thing you've been waiting and hoping and praying for and almost beyond what you think is going to happen. You've almost forgotten it and then you get an answer. Zacharias waited and prayed and waited some more and labored in prayer and finally God has an answer. And what is Zacharias' response? Wait, he says, how can this be? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, I think he's being nice right there. Basically, he's just saying, I'm old and my wife is old. But he's being a nice husband and he's using the phrase advanced in years. He's just saying his wife is old. See, God finally answers. Finally, after years and years and years of praying and asking and waiting and hoping. And his response is unbelief. See, Gabriel pulls no punches. He doesn't even really answer the question that Zechariah is asking about, well, how is this supposed to be? Uh, Because, you know, we're old. Gabriel just says, I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to bring you a message that was supposed to be good news for you. And so, because you didn't believe me, you're going to remain silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. And they'll be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah was rendered unable to speak. Now, because of this interaction with Gabriel, he was in offering his the incense longer than normal. So people began to get concerned. And when he finally came out, they assumed that he had must have seen something because he can't speak and he's trying to gesture to them to explain with his hands what just happened. And then he had to go home and tell his wife (laughs) what just happened without being able to speak. I I don't know what that was like, but just as an aside, can you imagine the experience you just had? Now you have to go home and tell your wife of advanced age that she's going to become pregnant with a son because an angel told you that that was going to happen. And not only that, but your son was going to be this forerunner, this, this one who would prepare the way, prepare the people of God to receive their king. And you can't speak. I don't know about the state of their marriage relationship or of your marriage relationship with your spouse, but can you just imagine that that might be a bit challenging to try to sign language that all out? Again, I have no idea how that communication happened. It just struck me as almost impossible. And Luke doesn't tell us exactly what happened. I just could imagine what that was like. But after his service time was over, he goes home, tells his wife, apparently, or communicates with her somehow. She conceives and becomes pregnant. And then Luke tells us that she hid herself for for five months. Now, 
Commentaries and scholars aren't completely sure why she remained hidden for five months, but it's clear that the gift of a son had a healing effect on Elizabeth. It was removing the shame and the stigma and the pain of barrenness. In the culture, if you had children, it was a sign or assumed it was a sign of God's blessing of you. And if you didn't have children in the culture, well, clearly God must not be blessing you. But we see that that's not totally the case. And even God in his kindness grants this mercy to to Elizabeth, taking away her reproach, her shame. Now, God could have used any woman to bear John, to bear the one who would prepare the way, but he chose Elizabeth. And I think in part, it tells us a little bit about God's character, his kindness. He was pleased to answer both of Zechariah's prayers at once for the redemption of Israel and for a child. Now, God's people had waited generations and prayed for their king to come. Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed their whole lives for a child. And when God answered, Zechariah's response was unbelief. Now, we're not waiting for the revealing of the Savior. Christ has come. He has completed his work, and we are the recipients of that salvation. But what is our response to the work of God in our lives? What does it look like for us to be a people prepared? So when the Spirit is at work in us, our response is belief and not unbelief. See, that's the question I want, to rest, I want us to wrestle with today. Are we a people prepared for God's answer? Ready to respond, believing by faith. See, let's look at Zechariah's path here and then look compare it to our own. First, he waited. We know this based on his position as a priest, the types of prayers he would offer, and all the, the prophetic evidence pointing to the coming Messiah, that they were just waiting as a people, waiting and waiting. They were patient. And this is a really challenging thing for me. I'm not a particularly patient person all the time. I'm sure it's a, it's a, it's a challenging thing for many of you, just as an individual, And it flies exactly counter to most of the culture that we swim in. It's just baked into our human nature, for one. And if you want to argue with me on that point, I suggest you take a road trip with a kid. doesn't matter which kid. Just hop in the car with him, drive for a while. You'll really quickly recognize that patience is not something that comes naturally for us. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? My absolute, one of my absolute favorite lines from a kid's movie is, it's totally a dad line from the, the Incredibles, the, the first Incredibles movie. Superhero family in an RV, strapped to a rocket, totally realistic, heading back towards the city to fight the bad guy, right? Save the city from the evil villain. And the superpowered kids from the backseat are saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I love the line from Mr. Incredible, which is why I relate to it so much, and I've used it many times. We'll get there when we get there. I use it in the car. I use it at home. I use it all the time. I just relate so much to that that line, not just as a dad, where I've used that line. My kids can attest to that. Have I said that before? Yes. Not only in the car, but lots of areas in my life, and not just towards my kids, but towards myself. We'll get there 
when we get there. And on top of a nature that is already impatient, we live in a time and in a culture that feeds on the immediate in the, and the now. We just do. It's where we live. Nearly all of our consumer marketing is attempting to convince us that this product or service will meet our need better, faster, more efficiently than the thing that we were already using. Just a few taps on the screen and we can send a message from here to halfway around the globe. We can have our lunch delivered. We can make a donation or pay a bill. And if we don't know the answer to just about any obscure bit of trivia, we can just ask Google or Siri or Alexa, hey, who was the MVP of the 1991 World Series? Jack Morris, by the way. Hall of Famer Jack Morris. It was the twins. But it doesn't matter. The, the, in a moment, we can have the answer or the thing we want. And so patience is not really a cultural value for us. It's not a virtue any longer. Culturally, and often for us, it's not one personally. Maybe we want it to be. Our lives are filled with anxiety-producing activities, and so it is hard for us to just pause and wait. But the scriptures are full of calls to wait. Here's just a few from the Psalms as I was reading this week. Psalm 25. None who wait for you, wait for the Lord, shall be put to shame. For you I wait all the day long. Be still, Psalm 31, and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So a question for us to ponder, what does it mean to wait and to wait patiently for the Lord? If we're to be prepared to receive what God has for us, we have to learn to wait. Second, Zechariah was patient and prayerful. Gabriel says to him, your prayer has been heard. I think biblical waiting is intimately connected to prayer. Why do we pray? What's the point? We're not trying to inform God of things of which he is unaware. There is nothing outside of God's understanding. But we pray to acknowledge that we have a great need. And that he is the one, the only one, who can meet that need. See, Zechariah is praying along with the nation. God, only you can bring light after darkness. Only you can restore what's been destroyed. Oh God, is his prayer. Fulfill your promise to bring healing to our nation. Would you send your Messiah, your King, to reign as our good and gracious King? Oh God, would you do this and could we see it in our day? These are the types of prayers Zechariah might be offering. On top of that, knowing the great need of his own wife and the reproach that they bear is praying with and for Elizabeth. God, you know our grief. You know the reproach that we bear and particularly my wife bears. Only you can bring life where there's barrenness. Only you can bring healing where there's pain. Only you can do this. Would you be merciful? Would you, would you see fit to grant us a child? Would you meet us in our disgrace and show us mercy? See, Zechariah is not attempting to twist God's arm. 
He's leaning into the character and promises of God and asking God to be God. Martin Luther says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. I love that. It's not overcoming God's reluctance. Well, okay, I guess I'll be nice. No, no, it's laying hold of his willingness to show himself great and merciful. God delights to fulfill his promises. He, he delights to answer our prayers for our good and for his glory. And so our prayers are directly connected to our waiting. In our busyness, we move to practical solutions and planning and execution way before we move to prayer. And I don't think I'm just speaking to myself there. What does it look like to lean into God in prayer? If we are to be prepared to receive what God has for us, we need to wait and pray. But this isn't a vending machine. Put in patience, put in prayer, and out comes preparation to receive. I'm ready. It's not how it works. It didn't work that way with Zechariah, right? Zechariah waited, he prayed, but when God answered, his response was unbelief. Well, there's a problem. See, and as I've been reading this week in preparation for this message and this series, that one stung the most, personally. Because I can be asking the right questions, and I can be praying the right things, and still my heart wants to lean in towards doubt sometimes. How often do I wait and pray, believing that God hears me? Believing that his ways are not my ways, but then when he answers in one way or another, my reaction is doubt or unbelief. I'm grateful that God at this point hasn't decided to shut my mouth by making me mute for not believing him when he answers. Now, it's not to say we can't be astonished or maybe even a little bit confused when God answers a prayer the way we don't understand. But Zechariah's response tells us that it is possible to demand of God too much of an explanation or evidence when he's just calling us to trust that his answer, to believe that his promise is good. And we're not there yet. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But Luke contrasts Zechariah's response with Mary's response. Gabriel shows up to Mary here in just a little bit and gives her some news. And her response is, let it be to me according to your word. And Zechariah's response is, wait a minute, I'm old. His comes from a place of not just disbelief and the craziness of it, but unbelief that God could even do such a thing. Almost telling Gabriel, God's going to have to prove that. How will I know that this is true? John Piper, teaching on this passage, makes a great statement and asks a great question. So I'm just going to steal what he has written and credit him. So it's on the screen. You can read along. He says, this passage here with Zechariah is a warning to us, to us, lest we, like Zechariah, demand too much evidence before we believe God's promises. How many of us, when we are laid low by dark and distressing circumstances, cannot believe that God is working it all out for our infinite good in some ray of light. Some extra evidence shows us that it's all going to be okay. How often we fail to take God at his word. So here are the questions we're asking ourselves today. Where are we being called to patiently wait upon the Lord? And is there movement in our hearts to lay hold of the willingness of God 
in our prayers. And even if there is patience and waiting and persistence in prayer, are we proving our faith? Do our responses to God, do our actions match what we say we believe? Now, if we're honest, none of us trusts God perfectly. None of us has faith that never wavers. None of us is immune from weakness or weariness. And so I don't want this to sound like a message of despair because we don't measure up. Here's why I think what we see here in Luke is a message of hope. Part of what's on display in Zechariah's unbelief is the need for Jesus. It's a need for someone else to come in, to enter into our brokenness and in our unbelief to bring life. This is a gospel message. The best human among us is imperfect. Even at our own personal best, like keep score in your own life, your very best day. In fact, take all the good parts of any day of your life and compile them into one day. And even at our very personal best, if we're honest, we fall so terribly short. We need a Savior. And the beauty of Advent is remembering that a Savior has come. In fact, the King himself, he didn't send a lackey. He came himself to enter into our world and then to seek out and save us who were rebels and enemies, lost and hopeless. So we acknowledge our need. We repent of our sin and our unbelief and we walk forward. See, my prayer for myself and for us and for you as we look at Christmas and we consider again the reality that God has come to us is that our hearts are ready to receive all that he has. That it doesn't just become the motions of tradition or, or, or family. This is what our family always does. But we read the story of the promises of the coming Messiah, the birth of Jesus with fresh eyes. First, that salvation comes through Christ. That's first and foundational. But also that God is working all things in every situation, in every circumstance. That God is working all things together for our good. That He, that God our Father, who began a good work in you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that He began that work of faith in your heart, that He will be faithful to bring it to completion. That we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That Jesus, by the offering of Himself on the cross, has perfected for all time you as He is currently sanctifying you. And that even now, even though now we only see shadows of what's to come, we, we know that one day we will see him face to face. That Christ has and is accomplishing these things in us for our good. So as we look to Christ, as we prepare for Christmas, we are ready to receive these things, to say, yes, God, we receive all that you give us as good as for our good, and as for your glory. See, Christmas is an opportunity for us. Advent is an opportunity for us 
by the Holy Spirit to ready our hearts so that in our waiting and in our prayers, we are ready to receive all that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your kindness, at the right time you sent Christ to die for the ungodly. That he was born, he came to live among us, wrapping himself in human flesh, that he might suffer and die on a cross to purchase us for himself. Pray you'd give us eyes to see not just the the manger as a standalone tradition, but as an entrance, as a doorway to the promises of God fulfilled to save, to rescue, to redeem, and to make new. Would you work in our hearts deeper belief in your goodness to us in the midst of trying circumstance? Help us believe that you are working all things together for our good. Help us believe that you are bringing this work you've begun in us, this faith you've begun in us, you're bringing it through to completion, that you will complete it, even if in our eyes it seems very slow going. And through the birth of Christ, through the the manger, through the advent of Jesus, give us eyes to see with hope of the life to come face-to-face. Encourage our hearts as we come to you with gratitude. We ask, please, that you would meet us in our need. We thank you that you hear our prayers and that you desire and love and delight to meet us there. So we pray you'd answer those prayers in your timing according to your will for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.